Yes. I don't think no. so. Do they have voting equipment yeah, up yeah, there? Yeah, yeah. Up, yeah. up top? Yeah. Amy, can we open Don Ben's lab now? Could somebody talk to me and tell me if there's a technical problem why Don Ben's lab is not open to the audience, please? <coughs> okay, it's over. <coughs> okay, no. let's see. Hello, hello. Yes, it is. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, and welcome to the first debate of our winter and spring season. My name is John Donvan, and I'm the host and moderator of the series. We are about four minutes behind schedule tonight, um, which for us is bad. We usually start precisely on time, so our apologies for that. Um, it has to do with the fact that we have a sellout crowd, and we're delighted about that. Uh, because of that, if you are, are just entering, um, the only way to seat sit down here is to sit as a single, and there are uh, several empty seats down front that you're welcome to come take. Otherwise, it'll have to be the balcony upstairs. So I just wanted to thank you all for coming out on this evening and to talk a little bit about what's going to happen and your role as members of the audience because the, your role is actually integral to the way this thing unfolds. There are two things that happen. The debaters are out here to persuade you that they have presented the better argument. And we ask you to make that choice in the evening with a vote at the end of the debate. We ask you to keep an open mind and to actually judge who you think presented the better argument tonight, not necessarily your convictions. And if they, somebody has changed your mind, that's even more impressive. But we're actually asking you to weigh who you think presented the better argument. And the way that we gauge that is we ask you to vote twice, once in the beginning of the evening and once again at the end of the evening. And our mechanism for that are the keypads that are at your seats. Um, everyone has one on the right side of your seat. And if you take a look at that keypad now, we won't do the vote now, we'll do it in a few minutes, but if you take a look at that keypad, if you agree with our motion that the UN should admit Palestine as a full member state, you push number one. If you disagree, you push number two. And if you're undecided, you push number three. You can ignore all of the other keys. And if you feel that you pushed the wrong mistake and uh, button inadvertently, just correct it and the system <coughs> will lock in your, your last vote. At the end of the debate, after you've heard all three rounds, which the, the rounds go in opening statements in a formal sense, then a direct kind of involvement of the debaters able to talk to themselves and to take questions from me and from you, and then a third round of very brief closing statements of two minutes each. After that, we'll have you vote a second time. And in that vote, that's the one where I'm really asking you to tell us, who do you think presented the better argument here tonight? And then we, we call a winner by the team whose numbers have moved the most from the first vote to the last vote. Um, so that's one role that the audience has. And the second role, which has proven uh, sometimes trickier and more problematic, is I come to you to ask questions of the debaters. And, and what's tricky is that a lot of folks have problems asking a question. <laughs> and the reason we like a question is we like you to throw something <coughs> into the conversation that hasn't been covered. And what, we, what I'm going to discourage is a speech or a statement or a debating point. Uh, I really want to ask you to go through the discipline of focusing what you want to say as a question and to try to do it within about 25 or 30 seconds. So I'm fine with your stating a premise, but I really want to ask you to, to go through the process of coming up with a question. 
and you'll recognize it's a question if a question mark goes at the end of it. <laughs> then, you, then you've done it perfectly. Um, and, and, I, and, if the, and I really want the question to be on our topic. Obviously, this, this subject is rich with side roads. And, and, and things may occur to you that you really would love to always have asked one of these debaters about something. If it's really not on the topic, with respect, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn down the question and move on to something else. So the purpose of the question is for you to move this debate along on our topic. Help us get to a further understanding of the rightness or the wrongness of this particular motion. The way the questions work, you raise your hands. We have a number of people in the audience with microphones. They'll come down to the aisle. The mic will be passed to you. I'll ask you to stand up, tell us your name. Uh, if you're with a media organization, if you could identify that as well, and then hold the mic about a fist distance away from your mouth so that the radio broadcast can hear you. Which brings me to my final point. We're being broadcast, uh, ultimately, on uh, NPR stations across the nation, hundreds of them, and on uh, Fora TV live tonight and Slate.com live tonight and on Channel 13 and the other New York-based public television stations sometime in the next few weeks. So you'll all be on television and your laughter and applause, which we hope to hear plenty of. You can give voice to your reaction to these debates. We encourage that. It lets these guys know how they're doing. All of that will be in the radio broadcast also. But because of that, we have microphones all over the place. And the, we are killed when everyone has their cell phones turned on. It kills the microphones, picks up buzz and, and interference. So we, when we hit a critical mass, it ruins everything. So I want to ask you if you could shut all of that down. If a few of you want to tweet, we can handle that, what we think would be a small number. You can stay open to do that. But otherwise, we want to ask you to, to shut everything down. So enjoy the evening. Uh, sorry for the slightly late start. And I want to welcome all of our debaters to the stage. And we, we have these debates because of the generosity of the Rosencrantz Foundation, which started them and continues to sustain them. And I want to welcome to the stage to launch things the chairman of the Rosencrantz Foundation, Mr. Robert Rosencrantz. Well, thank you very much, and thank you for being here. My role in these proceedings is to frame the debate. Uh, so nearly uh, 30, 18 years ago, the Oslo Accords provided for mutual recognition of Israel and the Palestinian Liberation Organization. Ever since, there have been outbreaks of violence, and an intermittent uh, quote-unquote peace process has carried on with the hope of resolving conflicts. Very little tangible progress has been made, while Israeli settlements have altered facts on the ground in Israel's favor. On the other hand, the facts on the ground in terms of world public opinion have moved decisively against Israel, not only in the Middle East, but in Europe and perhaps in the U.S. as well. Against this backdrop, the Palestinian Authority is asking the U.N. for admission as a member state. A bit of background about the UN is helpful. The UN Security Council includes five permanent members, the US, China, Russia, France, and the UK. Any one of these can veto the admission of Palestine. In contrast, the General Assembly, in which all members vote equally, can acknowledge Palestinian status as a state, but only as a non-member. 
Granting Palestine status as a member state would reinforce the UN's long-standing resolutions in favor of a two-state solution, express its disapproval of Israel's settlements policy and the difficulties it has imposed on the lives of Palestinians living in the West Bank. It would lend moral authority to the Palestinian cause and might induce Israel to take a more conciliatory posture in negotiations. The U.S. could, of course, exercise its veto power in the Security Council, but at a cost in terms of our relationships with the Arab world. And even a vote by the General Assembly to grant Palestine status as a non-member state might give the Palestinians access to the International Criminal Court, where they could legally challenge the Israeli uh, occupation. On the other hand, nothing the U.N. can do will alter the facts on the ground. Nothing will resolve the dysfunctional, fragmented, conflict-ridden, often corrupt character of Palestinian attempts at self-government. Nothing will get the Palestinians to develop a coherent uh, negotiating position or to provide realistic assurances that agreements once reached would be enforced. Prior UN resolutions have endorsed the goal of Palestinian sovereignty. A UN admission of Palestine would be a redundant expression of hope rather than a meaningful step toward peace. So those are the arguments uh, summarized in a nutshell on both sides. Debates about Israel in the Middle East are always heated. But tonight's debate should generate light as well. We have an outstanding group of experts to illuminate these vexing issues, and it's my pleasure to turn the evening over to our moderator, John Donvan. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. Thank you. And, um, May I just invite one more round of applause for Robert Rosencrantz for making this possible. Yes or no to this statement. The UN should admit Palestine as a full member state. It is a statement that divides us, but it's one that is worthy of fair and open debate, and that's what this is, another debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan. Welcome. We have two teams, four superbly qualified debaters, all of whom have lived at the heart of this argument, and it is an argument that, let's face it, in our lifetime has seemed to be rather permanent, the way that the Berlin Wall once seemed permanent but turned out not to be, or apartheid in South Africa seemed permanent but turned out not to be. But Israel and Palestine, this is the one that seems never to end. And why is that? Well, nothing helps expose the fault lines like a good debate, and debaters who are trying to make you understand their point of view and maybe get you to see something the way that you have never seen it before. We go in three rounds of debate, then the audience votes on the winning debate. Only one side wins. Our motion is the U.S. should admit Palestine as a... Thank you. It's actually a typo. See what a mechanical machine I am. I read it right off the script. Our motion is the U.N. should admit Palestine as a full member state. And to meet our debaters, Mustafa Barghouti, you are a Palestinian, a former presidential candidate in the Palestinian Authority. You are a Nobel Peace Prize nominee because you lead a party that is adamantly devoted to peaceful resistance to the Israeli occupation. And just very briefly, before we get started, what do you think is the point in this debate that your opponents don't understand yet that you want to make them understand? 
I think the point is that uh, admitting Palestine to the UN as a full member is in the best interest not only of the Palestinian people but also of Israeli people. Thank and you. that uh, it is in the best interest of peace for everybody. Thank you, Mustafa. Your teammate, who is also arguing for admission, Daniel Levy, it's going to surprise some people that Daniel Levy arguing on this side is actually a citizen of the state of Israel. You are also a negotiator on the Israeli side in negotiations with Palestinians. And, and Daniel, from your point of view, again, knowing that many of your uh, fellow Israelis would oppose this admission, what, what, what do you want the doubters to hear tonight? Well, doubt is okay. Skepticism is healthy. But we can't pretend the Palestinians away and time isn't healing this. So not acting to facilitate a Palestinian state is just a dereliction of responsibility to ourselves and to future generations. And because I just mispronounced your name, I'm going to repeat the first sentence I said. Your teammate also arguing for the motion, Daniel Levy. Thank you. And I will be consistent with that from this point on. Our, our motion is this. The UN should admit Palestine as a full member state. And arguing against the motion, Dory Gold, you were... Uh, at the United Nations as Israel's representative. You are an advisor to Prime Minister Netanyahu. You have been around the block on this one for years and years and years. And my question to you is, what do you think the audience needs to hear tonight that they've never considered before? I'm sorry, I have to correct you. I'm currently not an advisor. I'm a private citizen, but nonetheless, I'll answer your question. Does he listen to what you say? You have to ask him. <laughs> Look. The position I'm taking has nothing to do with recognition of the Palestinians. It has nothing to do with national dignity, which every people is entitled to. It has everything to do with undertaking an act which will create chaos precisely at a time when the Middle East is more dangerous than ever. Thank you very much. And your partner is Aaron David Miller. Aaron, you are a former U.S. Mideast negotiator, a public policy scholar at the Woodrow Wilson International Center for Scholars. And you also have been involved in this, in the negotiating table, as an American and as the American at the table for 20 years. And, and what do you want your audience to key in on tonight? John, thanks for, thanks for having all of us. Uh, no more illusions is my trope. Americans and Israelis have had their fair share, and now the Palestinians have theirs. Uh, UN admission in the absence of an agreement between Israelis and Palestinians will not take the Palestinians any closer to the full sovereign state that they deserve. Thank you, Aaron David Miller. So we've heard from all of our debaters. We've met them all. And shortly we're going to move on to round one. But first, we want to ask you to go to the keypads at your seat and take a look again at our motion. The UN should admit Palestine as a full member state. If you agree with this motion at this point, push number one. If you disagree, please push number two. And if you are undecided, push number three. And if you made an error, just correct your vote and the last vote will be registered. These will be tabulated. We're going to hold this result till the end of the debate. We'll have a second vote. We'll ask you in that second vote to judge which team presented the better argument. And the team that has moved its numbers the most will be declared our winner. So on to round one, opening statements from each debater in turn. They will be seven minutes each. Our motion is the UN should admit Palestine as a full member state. And here to argue first for the motion, uh, Daniel Levy, he is a senior fellow at the New America Foundation. I, I, I'm stuck with this and I memorized, I, I burned it into my head. I'm going to do this one more time. And that's the great thing about being able to edit. No, and please correct me whenever I do this. 
Up for the motion first, the UN should admit Palestine is a full member state, former Israeli government negotiator, senior fellow at the New America Foundation, where he is co-director of the Middle East uh, Task Force, Daniel Levy. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, on October the 10th, 1971, <clears throat> the United Nations admitted the People's Republic of China as a member and kicked out Taiwan. If that were the kind of motion we were debating tonight, I would not be standing here arguing in favor. What we are proposing is to admit Palestine at the UN not instead of Israel, but alongside Israel. Unfinished UN business from the middle of the last century. Let me first clear up what I hope will not become debris in the way of a constructive debate tonight. We have not convened here to discuss matters of legal principle. Does Palestine meet the criteria of Montevideo for statehood? Law matters, but this is primarily a political, not a legal question. And it's not about the United Nations and whether it is a force for good or a frustrating institution. It can be both. And Israel, of course, went to the UN to get its own birth certificate endorsed. But the assumption of this debate is the two-state paradigm. We do not have anyone here advocating a greater Jewish Israel or a binational democratic state. Nevertheless, it would be hubris to take two states for granted. And we need to recognize certain realities. The territorial viability of a second state in this area looks increasingly precarious. Approximately 600,000 Israelis, one in 10 Israeli Jews live beyond the green line. Settlements grow, outposts are legalized. I invite you to go and see the reality. And it's not just a physical manifestation of blurring. It is also the conceptual universe in which a growing number of Israelis live. Prime Minister Netanyahu may have talked the talk on two states, but he has not walked the walk. His only could party platform opposes two states. And one must take seriously the Jewish-Israeli narrative that says 100 years ago we had nothing. Then we got Balfour. Then we got the 47 partition. Then we got 78% of the land. Then in 1967 we got 100% of the land and we're not going anywhere. That's a serious view and it has an Amen corner by the way. Certain people perhaps in New Hampshire tonight are part of that Amen corner. Passivity cannot be the response. If we want two states, we have to act. And UN admission for Palestine is precisely the anchor for a two-state future, a clarifying moment. We need to be deeply respectful of the choices that Israelis are going to have to make, difficult choices, and the conversations in Israel. And therefore, to understand just how unproductive the lack of clarity is for that Israeli conversation. Indulging bad behavior, treating that with impunity, is unhelpful in any human predicament. And we encourage the most self-destructive tendencies in Israeli behavior when we pretend that by doing nothing, allowing this slippage away from two states, somehow we're making it easier for Israeli society to change course. We are not. The cost-benefit calculation of Israelis needs to look different. Do we really think that Israel is waiting to leave the territories, just waiting? 
And the Palestinians just need to ask politely enough and behave well enough, and that's the key to unlock this. Let's acknowledge that it's not going to be easy, but the current policies aren't helping. What then can be done? The Palestinians do actually have options. Violence, I'm against that, that's illegitimate. They can use non-violent, coercive diplomacy of sanctioning. I can see its legitimacy, but I'm not an advocate of that. Or they can use declarative diplomacy. Draw a line, lay down a marker to get the attention of Israelis. That's what UN membership is. And I would argue it correlates with what is best, therefore, for Israel. We can't expect the Palestinians to wait forever. And we can't say to them that you can neither have self-determination and express it at the UN, but nor can you accept the one-state reality and argue for equal rights in one state. Suggesting the Palestinians can do neither is unrealistic, but it's also immoral. So if we want to salvage a two-state solution, but at the same time if we can't impose a solution, and if we can't even prevent deterioration, if we can't even get a settlement freeze, then how do we give oxygen to this gasping for breath two-state idea? We vote to admit Palestine to the UN, and we vote for this motion tonight. UN membership is not a silver bullet. It's not a panacea. It's not sprinkling pixie dust on the harsh realities of the Middle East, but it is an important and legitimate part of a strategy to signal a different future. We will no doubt be told that this can't happen, that it's meaningless symbolism, and especially not now with the Arab Spring. Wrong. Yes, the US has committed to a veto. No doubt we'll discuss that. But does that make this debate pointless? Can the realpolitik argument really close down our entire conversation? If that's the case, I strongly suggest you guys cancel the debate you have planned in March about banning college football, because it won't be, and that can always be an argument. I urge the other side of this debate to give us more than naysaying, to give us more than negotiations. Those negotiations are asymmetrical. One side is so lacking in leverage, and they are so steeped in years of failure. Negotiations cannot be the singular tool in our toolkit. And finally, if we are concerned about Israel's security, then let's acknowledge that hope, too, is a security currency. Hopelessness encourages violence. There'll always be the next mountain range that you need to occupy, but strategic security is about a basket of interests and balances and avoiding causes belli. And perhaps, perhaps, occupation itself contributes to insecurity and Israeli democracy. Eventually, managing an occupation and justifying it and sustaining democracy cannot happily coexist. Not to dramatize, but if we don't have a Palestine, we are saying Kaddish. We are saying the rites of prayer, of last prayer, for Israeli democracy. I urge you to support this motion, to support the principle of Palestine alongside Israel at the UN. Thank you. Thank you, Dan Le Daniel Levy. <clears throat> Thank you, Daniel Levy. <clears throat> Our motion is the UN should admit Palestine as a full member state, and here to speak against the motion, Aaron David Miller. Over two decades, he advised six secretaries of state shaping U.S. policy on the Middle East and the Arab-Israeli peace process. He is a public fellow at the Woodrow Wilson Center. John, thank you very much, and thank all of you for coming. Daniel, 
known you for many years. I admire your passion and your intellect. You're a powerful advocate of Israeli-Palestinian peace, of logic and common sense. All of this, however, does not address the fundamental problem. It's a conundrum now, Daniel. We're dealing with a conundrum. We are stuck. Violence will never produce sovereignty for Palestinians, but neither will negotiations right now. So the question is what to do. What you're suggesting, in my judgment, is that we take an action that is not simply neutral, that will retard and undermine the very concept, as dubious as you may believe it is. Mustafa will agree. Dory may even agree. It is simply no justification for proceeding in the face of common sense logic toward an alternative that ultimately will not bring Palestinians closer to meaningful sovereignty. I speak here not in Israeli to you and not as a Palestinian. I speak with all of its imperfections and contradictions as an American, absorbed in this process for many years. 25 years. And during the course of that period, I de developed a faith in three primary assumptions. Number one, there was a solution, equitable and durable. Number two, negotiations were the only way to achieve it. And negotiations is flawed and it's imperfect because it's based on human frailty and weakness on, and on the need and the capacity to compromise. And finally, that the United States had a critical role to play in this process by being fair, by being tough, and by being reassuring all of these assumptions. Any honest man or woman would acknowledge are now at sea. And the situation, you're quite correct, Daniel, will be worse. It will get worse before it gets worse. But the question still has to be addressed. How will granting the putative state of Palestine admission as a full member state into the UN address any of this? Now, I'm here to argue in six basic points. I don't want to bore you. I'm not here to entertain you. But to leave you with perhaps a baker's dozen in the next four and a half minutes of why I believe this is a bad idea. And by the way, I would concede, particularly to you, Daniel, that I know bad ideas when I see them. I know illusions when I see them. I was responsible over the course of a 20-year period for quite a few, as Mustafa will attest, perhaps even Dory. But not tonight. I have no illusions tonight. First, as an American, whose country sits on the Security Council, I cannot in all good conscience recommend the admission of a putative state, however morally or ethically compelling it may be, as a full member state. Prime Minister Salam Fayyad, the man who has done more to build institutions of Palestinian statehood on the ground, is against this proposition because he knows it will undermine the work that he has done. It will undermine the institutions. Palestine has no borders. It has no control over its population. It has no monopoly over the forces of violence within its own society. In short, it does not control the guns, all of the guns, in its society. I would argue that's critically important for statehood. Yes, much of this may be due to the Israeli occupation, but that doesn't change the reality. Admission of Palestine now will create a situation in which it cannot discharge its own obligations as a member state, in large part because half of its government, the rival Palestinian national movement, doesn't ascribe to a peaceful, 
solution of interstate conflict. Mustafa may have much to say about this, but this is an obligation of UN, of UN membership. Second, as an American, I'd oppose this because I believe it's not symbolic. It's not symbolic at all. It's a prescription and an Rx, if you will, for instability and perhaps even escalation. Think about it. We are admitting the Palestinian Authority that presumes to control Palestine into the UN when in fact two other entities, one, the State of Israel, an ally of the United States, and a second factor and force, Hamas, an entity, which is an adversary of the United States, has more control over what transpires in Palestine, this putative state, than the Palestinian Authority. That is a prescription for endless contradiction and perhaps even violence. Mustafa will tell you, and he may be right, that the basis for this negotiation and the basis of, for any Palestinian state will be June 467 borders, but admitting Palestine into the UN will mean that a Palestinian president now has the right and the obligation to defend those borders. I wouldn't want to, I mean, maybe you see this as a blessing. I see it as a huge contradiction to put any head of a putative state in a position where he has to defend borders that he cannot defend. And what is he to say to his public when the Israelis continue to do what they will do? Which brings me to my third point. There will be an Israeli reaction. And who is going to control that reaction? The United States? The international community? As Israel sets, seeks perhaps to set its own boundaries? To basically say to the Palestinians, fine, you have now set your boundary. June 4, 67 is the basis of a negotiation if we ever return to the table. But we're going to set ours now as well. We will set our boundary. And we will be dragged sooner, sooner rather than later away from the prospects of any kind of solution. Fourth, if the Palestinians want to pick a fight with the Americans, that's their business. But I would argue it's counterproductive. You can have an election in November, and I'm not talking as a Republican as, or as a Democrat, but anybody looking at this situation might argue that if you truly had a strategic interest in promoting Palestinian statehood, you, you probably would want to see the re-election of the current president. You would probably want to see the re-election of the current president, which would mean essentially that you're not going to force him into a position to take actions that will weaken the prospects of his own election. Finally, I'll come back to my initial point. Just because we're stuck does not mean the pursuit of a strategy that's going to take us farther away than ever from our goal. Admissions of Palestine now without an agreement will take Palestinians farther away from sovereignty. Thank you, Aaron David Miller. Your time's up. Thank you. A reminder of what's going on. We are halfway through the opening statements in this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, finding it out over this motion. The U.N. should admit Palestine as a full member state. You have heard the first two opening statements and now on to the third to debate in support of this motion that the U.N. should admit Palestine as a full member state. Palestinian democracy activist, Secretary General of the Palestinian National in Initiative, and Nobel Peace Prize nominee, Mustafa Barghouti. Thank you. 
Thank you so much, and thank you for coming tonight, and thank you for inviting me to this debate. I have four reasons that I would like to emphasize why Palestine should be admitted to the UN. The first is that time is not an infinite commodity, and time, we're losing time. And with the continuation of Israeli settlements on the ground, which are illegal, and after 20 years of failed negotiations, we cannot have the risk of losing the two-state solution. If Palestine is not accepted as a state very soon, there will be no two-state solution. And the outcome will be dangerous and bad for everybody. So we need the UN in this case to change the parameters, to change the course, the course of failure which Mr. Miller is defending. What Mr. Miller has suggested and what probably Mr. Gold will suggest is to continue the same path of failure, the same negotiations that failed to produce anything because of the imbalance. What, and that, in my opinion, is irresponsible towards Palestinians and irresponsible towards Israelis as well. What they are proposing is to continue what Einstein described as insanity, which is doing the same thing over and over again and expect different results. <laughs> Third, it also indicates, as I suspect Mr. Gold will, will show, such a position against UN admission indicates an underlying intention of rejecting the principle of having a Palestinian state, which means rejecting the right of the Palestinian people to be free. Continuing negotiations while settlements continue to grow is like having two sides negotiating over a piece of cheese. One side, the Palestinian side, is stuck behind bars, the Israeli side having access to the piece of cheese and eating it while negotiating. At the end of the day, we'll find nothing to negotiate about. And that is not a solution. So my second point is that in the light of the fail of the in disability and inability of the United States for internal reasons that are well known to you, and in the light of the weakness of the Europeans and their participation, and in the light of the stubbornness of the Israeli extreme right wing, we have to find a way for a new strategy. We have one of three options. Either Palestinians would surrender to injustice, and that's what some people are calling for. In this case, what you will witness is the consolidation of a system of apartheid, where Palestinians are discriminated against, and Israel would become the worst apartheid system in the 21st century, something that nobody could be proud about. Or the second option is violence, which we reject and we don't want. The third option is to have nonviolent peaceful resistance, exactly like Gandhi did in India and like Martin Luther King did here in the United States, and that's the course we are taking. And that's why going to the UN is nothing but another act of diplomatic resistance within the context of popular nonviolent resistance to change parameters and to change the balance of power so that we can have productive negotiations really and have a result at the end of the road. My third point is that 
supporting our right to be admitted to the United Nations will be sending the right message. The message of respect to human rights. The message of respect to people's rights for self-determination. The message of respect of the right of people to be sovereign. If we speak about the rights of South people in South Sudan, and in Kosovo, and in Libya, and in Syria to be free, and to have self-determination, then why not Palestine? And why continue to use the double standard? Especially that admitting Palestine in the UN will be about correcting a historical mistake that was made since 1947 resolution of the United States spoke about two states. Israel was established, Palestine was not. My last point is that we know that admitting Palestine to the United Nations will not immediately create a change on the ground. We understand. But it will achieve three goals. First, it will give us hope. It will give Palestinians hope. Hope is what we need today to sustain nonviolent approach to our resistance and struggle. Desperation and lack of hope, as is advocated on the other side, will only bring violence and, and dangerous things. Second, accepting Palestine will actually uh, invalidate all the de facto actions on the ground that are made by Israel by creating settlements. And third, it will send a message to the Israelis that they will not be really free unless Palestinians are also free. We are now victims of oppression and discrimination. The Israelis are hostage to occupation and fear, especially security fear. And Mr. Gold will try to show you that there is more fear today because of the Arab Spring. Instead of Israel being happy about people becoming democratic, they are having more fear. This is not the right approach. We want to liberate ourselves through popular nonviolent resistance, through admission to the United Nations, but we also want to liberate the Israelis as well. Martin Luther King liberated the United States, not only the African-Americans from segregation. And Mandela liberated the whole of South Africa, the whites and the blacks together by liberating South Africa from apartheid. And that's why what we want, what we are working for, is to liberate ourselves from oppression, the longest occupation in modern history, and the worst apartheid system and to liberate the Israelis from fear, from the security phobia. One time, a Palestinian leader came to the United Nations with a gun and an olive branch. Today, we are coming to the United Nations with two olive branches. Don't let us drop them. Thank you. Thank you, Mustafa Barghouti. <laughs> Our motion is the UN should admit Palestine as a full member state. Our final debater is going to speak against the motion. He's Dory Gold, world-renowned expert on Middle Eastern affairs. He's former Prime Minister of Israel's foreign policy advisor and former ambassador to the United Nations. Dory Gold. Those of you who are voting tonight should remember that we're speaking about Palestinian membership to the UN, we're not in New Hampshire. When I served as Israel's ambassador to the United Nations, 
back in the late 1990s, I had a colleague, a counterpart, who was the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. He became a very close friend and someone I intellectually admired. His name, fortunately, he's passed away, was Richard Holbrook. And one of the things I was struck by, I, before I was sent to the UN, I was an Israeli negotiator. I was sent to the sand dunes of Gaza where Mohammed Dahlan would pick me up in that extended Mercedes and take me to Arafat's house. And we would discuss how to move forward in peace. And by the way, those discussions were tough. Because you, when you're in a meeting like that, you don't know where to park your head. Should you remember the Israelis who died? in repeated suicide terrorist attacks that came out of territory under Arafat's jurisdiction. I know that's tough to mention, but you've got to know that. Do you think of those people? Do you think about the moment? Do you think about building a future? Do you forget about the tragedies of the past so you'll have hope? How do you orient yourself? It's very, very tough. But I had that experience. We were involved in, uh, I spent hours with uh, Mahmoud Abbas, Abu Mazen, I spent a uh, tremendous time on the Hebron Agreement with Aaron and, of course, the Y Agreement that followed afterwards. And what I had seen in the 90s is we didn't succeed. We didn't succeed diplomatically. We reached agreements. And, by the way, the man that um, some spokesmen like to uh, try and put in a corner, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, signed two agreements with the Palestinians, withdrew from territory, made sacrifices for peace, risked his whole political base because he wanted to move the process forward. It may not be the conventional wisdom in certain circles, but I experienced that. But let me go back to Holbrook. So I saw that we had a tough time moving forward. And after I left government in 1999, and Prime Minister Ehud Barak came to office, and Barak went to Camp David with Yasser Arafat, and peace wasn't concluded. But I asked myself through my contacts with Holbrook, how was it that Richard Holbrook delivered the greatest political diplomatic achievement of the Clinton administration, the Dayton Accords over Bosnia, while we didn't succeed in the Middle East? We failed at Camp David. I'm not sure I had a, I'm not sure I still understand why that occurred. By the way, that is a tough conflict. The battle between Croats Bosnian Muslims, the Serbs, was religious, ethnic, territorial. It had all the ingredients that we had. But they persisted. They persisted to negotiate. I, I discerned from my discussions with Holbrook and from reading his memoirs on that conflict that there were three elements. He concluded that there must be a negotiated outcome. As much as you can be cynical about tough negotiations, that's the only outcome that will work. The second thing that comes from my experience with talking to him, and it's also in his memoirs, is that peacemaking must come from the parties themselves. The great breakthroughs at Dayton came from those three warring parties. It's true. They were brought to Ohio. It's true. Secretary of State was in and out. President Clinton was ready to come in. But they themselves were responsible for reaching peace, and an imperfect peace. And finally, you need diplomatic flexibility. Let me tell you something. 
both sides, certainly in our case, and I can speak for Israelis, we have a deep inner conviction in the justice of our cause. But tonight's not the night to lay that out to you. The point is that even though you have that deep inner conviction, the point is even though you can go on every American network from CNN to Fox Television and lay that out to the American audience, you have got to make a compromise. You've got to cut a deal. You can't walk away. And because they knew there had to be a negotiated outcome, because they knew it had to come from the parties themselves, and they needed diplomatic flexibility. In the Balkans, they cut a deal, an imperfect deal. In fact, um, Holbrook writes in his book, the critical question, will the Bosnians grasp an imperfect peace or let the war resumed remained unresolved right up until Dayton was convened? Now let me move to the issue at hand between us. What is my problem with the proposal that a Palestinian state be recognized as a UN member state? As I said in my opening words, this isn't about national dignity. You know, every people wants to be recognized. And there are a lot of peoples out there beyond the discussion of who's supposed to get independence, Kurds, Tibetans, you name it. Every national movement wants to be recognized at the UN. So my question is about recognizing the rights of Palestinians. That's what it was recognized by Menachem Begin back at Camp David in 1978. My question is really twofold, and my concern is twofold. First of all, carefully listening to the speech of, um, of uh, Mahmoud Abbas on September 23rd this year, or last year now, at the uh, UN General Assembly, he wasn't just saying, accept us in principle, he was laying out borders. And uh, I think Aaron made the reference to it, the June 4th, 1967 line. As though there was some kind of pre-67 boundary, border, that was an international line that we have to agree to. That's it. When we signed the Oslo Agreements, borders were supposed to be negotiated. And that, to that point, to that very point, Yasser Arafat agreed. He signed those agreements. Or actually, had Abu Mazen sign the first agreement, the implementation agreements he later signed. So we're talking about predetermining the final boundaries by moving to the UN. Dory Gold, I'm sorry your time is up. It went by quickly, but you can bring some of that in later on. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. And you can do one of those applause moments if you want. So our motion is the UN should admit Palestine as a full member state. Keep in mind how you voted at the beginning of the evening because we're going to ask you to vote again at the end of the evening. And the team that has changed the most of your views on this uh, mo on this motion will be declared our winner. So now on to round two, and this is where the debaters address one another directly and answer questions from you in the audience and from me. We have two teams of two. We have Mustafa Barghouti and Daniel Levy, who have been arguing that the UN should admit Palestine as a full member state uh, for several reasons, including the fact that it introduces hope to the Palestinian people and that hope militates against violence. Also, 
that in a peace process that is going nowhere, that is stuck, it lays down a marker that the Israelis cannot ignore. The team arguing against the motion, they include Dory Gold and Aaron David Miller, are arguing against this motion on the grounds, number one, that what exists now in the territory controlled by the Palestinian Authority doesn't really meet the qualifications of a state, that it can't control its borders, it can't control its guns. And they're also arguing that it is too soon to give up on negotiation itself. So we're going to take questions from you, but first for me I want to put a question to the side arguing against the motion. And I think, Dory, this may have been where you were heading. I want to understand why admission of the UN, uh, why admission of Palestine to the UN necessarily precludes the continuation of negotiations. Why can't there be this admission to the UN and yet negotiations continue and ultimately a solution reached? I mentioned that point already, which is, of course, that these are issues that have to be negotiated. You know, for example, one of the hard choices that Mahmoud Abbas has to face, one of the critical issues that he has to deal with is announcing it's the end of the conflict by going to the UN, getting a Palestinian state. He doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to come to terms with the question that we keep raising. We're being asked, recognize the rights of the Palestinians to an independent state. So we've done that but we're asking the Palestinians to recognize the rights of the Jewish people to a nation-state of their own. That has to be in the package. But, there, but, 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 but in fact, there... there but, but how are you recognizing the Palestinian state when you refuse to go back to 67 borders? Because the borders have nothing to do with the existence of a state. The, so the borders state have would to be, be up in the air on no borders? No, we have to work out the borders. We have real problems. You know, everyone said, oh, just get out of the Gaza Strip unilaterally in 2005. You won't have a full peace agreement because we didn't negotiate. Get out unilaterally, and the situation will stabilize. Sorry, no one said that. That was the initiative of the Israeli Prime Minister. And he refused to... No one was telling him unilaterally. No one was telling us to unilaterally does, but everyone said, if you end the occupation, the source of violence will end. Gaza is 6% of the land mass of the remaining 22% of mandatory Palestine that we're talking about in a two-state solution. No one was saying, end the occupation in 6%, maintain and entrench the occupation in 94%, and see how that goes. Wouldn't you expect... <laughs> wouldn't you expect that if you get out of a given territory, that the level of violence from that territory would decline? Maybe it would go up elsewhere. Dory, I, uh, let me... No, let me come, wait, wait a minute. Raised, Dory, um, let, let me, wish, wait a minute. Excuse me. Raised, excuse me. Dory, I, I don't feel that you answered my question. Okay. Although, although you said that you had addressed it, my question is, you, you just talked about what's left to be negotiated. Let's take borders for an example. Why not do this political gesture at the UN for the Palestinians? Why would that preclude then having discussions on the borders afterwards? In other words, you, you were saying this stops everything, and I'm trying to understand why this would stop any, everything and these negotiations could not continue on those points afterwards. Well, what if the very resolution itself states that the borders will be the June 4th line. Is the Palestinian side willing to relinquish that phraseology from a Security Council resolution? Mustafa Barghouti. Well, uh, let me reiterate one thing. Let's remember that in 1947... Are you going to... But you'll answer his question? Simple question. Yeah, I'm answering okay. this question. In 1940... He, ha he has been talking a lot, so let me yeah, answer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in 1947... It was decided there will be two states. Israel would be on 54% of the land, Palestine on 44% of the land. 
Now we are accepting 22%. That's less than half of what we should have had according to the UN in 47. And Mr. Gold wants to take away parts of that land because for the settlements that keep growing, Israel is the only country in the world that has not told anybody yet what are its borders. Why? Uh, but you're not answering because his question. His, because his, his question was whether, no the, whether, the, resol whether the resolution... What about what, India what, and Pakistan? Excuse me, Dory. Why do you Dory, excuse me. Excuse me. And why do you Dory, not let me Dory, argue excuse me. assertions that are totally based? Dory, excuse me. The, his, the question that he put, could there be a resolution that would not stipulate borders, that would leave that to be negotiated? I think there are four issues for negotiations. There is settlements, there is the borders, there is the issue of refugees, there is the issue of Jerusalem. Nobody said that admitting us to the UN will mean that we will not negotiate about all these issues. Okay, that's the point Nobody I'm trying to come back to. And Dory, I'm trying to understand and, and, why you and, say and, that can't happen. And one final point, please. It's very dangerous to say we admit, we accept Palestinians that they should have a state, but we don't agree with 67 borders because what that means is that you, are, you want us to have a Pantustan, like was in South Africa. There were also Pantustans in South Africa with kings, not only presidents. But that did not mean that people were free. They were subjected to discrimination and apartheid system. Let, me bring, exactly let me bring in Aaron David Miller. We're getting away from some very basic issues here. Admission to the UN and recognition would conflate with acknowledgement of sovereignty. Legally, that may not be the case, but that is the way it would be read. That is the way a Palestinian authority would interpret it. And presumably, that is the way the international community might interpret it as well. And that, the notion that recognition and admission would create the mindset that June 467 borders had been established, had been laid down, would make it more difficult, even though Mustafa and Daniel, it may well be the only rational, logical outcome is a negotiation with June 467 borders as a basis. Second, you have a divided Palestinian polity, and let's not forget this point, because it's fundamental to the entire argument. You're not dealing here with a negotiation which consists of one gun, one authority, and one negotiating position. The notion that you would admit, as a member state, a divided Palestinian polity, half of which has not even signed up to the conditions that are essentially, by definition, basic to a negotiation. Okay. Let me bring is, this to Daniel. He's, he's made two very important. strong pragmatic arguments. Daniel Eager. It's not, this notion of a division between what is morally acceptable, what is symbolic, and what is pragmatic is a, is a division without distinction. No one is doubting the fact that if the Palestinians were admitted into the UN, they would be more hopeful. No one is doubting that it would impress on the international community the notion of Palestine as a sovereign state. What I am doubting, and what you have yet to demonstrate, is that such an act would bring us any closer to okay. meaningful Daniel, I, sovereignty. Uh, Aaron, I, I want to bring it to Daniel because I want to come back to some uh, of the points uh, over there. That's what we will Daniel, Aaron, given that you've told us that it has to get worse before it gets worse and that the Palestinians should join the re-elect President Obama campaign, I'm not sure, and this isn't easy because this is probably obvious to everyone in this room, uh, me and Aaron aren't exactly hostile when it comes to one another. There's, there's deep mutual appreciation, and I greatly respect the service that Dory Gold has given to the State of Israel. 
I want to address the, 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 the two points you put out there. First of all, what, what we've tried to make the point of is that if you want a two-state solution, you have to do something about it and you have to begin to anchor it and you have to send signals. No one is expecting that the morning after admission of Palestine to the UN, Palestine actually realizes its sovereignty. This isn't a standalone gesture. No, Aaron, I'm going to... I'm not going to say a word. Not going to say a word. Well, ultimately, as, you will. As, yeah, exactly. As for the expectation that if it's admitted to the UN, well, that means it's got full sovereignty. Listen, for 40-plus years, the Soviet Socialist Republic of Belarus and of Ukraine were members of the UN. Did that mean that they were independent states in the USSR? Come on, this is a political act. What we're talking about here is sending a political signal from the UN. Your second point, the divided Palestinian authority. First of all, Aaron, you, you didn't get it exactly right in your description of who takes, who assumes that Palestinian seat at the UN. It's not the Palestinian Authority, it's the PLO. And that has been clarified and made clear. The PLO is still headed by Abbas. The PLO has certain commitments that it has made in signed treaties. And I would look at this, as I try and look at most things, to be honest, as how do we use this opportunity? How does this become an entry point to problem solving rather than rejecting it as another non-starter? All right, let me come I, back my, to no, I, I want to finish the point. Really I want to finish quickly, the point. Please. My entry point for this as a problem solver is I would turn around and say, Palestine, you're in the UN, you sign the UN Charter, read the words of the UN Charter. Hamas, you want reconciliation, you have to be signing up to the UN Charter as well. I would make this part of the encouragement of internal Palestinian yeah. unity Shari and see Gold, the opportunity, not always the threat. Shari Gold. Daniel Levy mentions the UN Charter, and you know one of the most important points in this discussion to keep in mind is, sorry to be legal, but mm -hmm. Article 4 of the Charter, which says membership in the United Nations is open to all other peace-loving states which accept the obligations contained in the present Charter. Peace-loving states. Why is that important? Uh, Mustafa Barghouti has invoked the names of um, Martin Luther King, I don't know if he said Gandhi, but... Uh, I said Gandhi and Mandela. And Mandela. <laughs> Men who were against violence. If only we had that. Exactly. If only Me the too. Palestinian right political away. culture had adopted those positions. But, really? frankly, frankly, just now, on December 22nd, in a meeting in Cairo, and I'm not sure whether you were there or not. I was. Yes, okay. I don't want to get it personal, but there was a meeting of the Palestinian leadership that included Khalid Mashal, the head of Hamas. It included the heads of Islamic Jihad. And these are organizations that call for the obliteration of the State of Israel, the destruction of the State of Israel. So how do you square the circle of invoking to an American audience names like Martin Luther King, and then going to an event in Cairo with the leaders of Islamic Jihad, which is a wing of the Pazdaran of Iran, of sitting with the Hamas leadership, while they, after your meeting with them, are quoted in El Hayat in the Arabic press, still calling 
for armed struggle against the state of Israel. I can't square the circle. And you cannot have UN membership. You cannot have UN membership when you're coming to the UN, when you're going All right. to the Secretary All right. General. We, we, we take the and point. You and I, sorry, I, just, I, can't, I, can't, I can't just let you have the floor forever. We got your point, and we want to keep the points moving. Me off. Thank you. Well, you know, Dori, I want to ask you about the policy of Israel. I asked you about the policy I, of the Palestinians. I, uh, I think tell me about Cairo. You were there. Let's I hear. want to ask you about the fact that Israel is the third largest No, Mustafa, he put, I'm, I'm, he put I'm a good point. I want no, to no, hear. give me the chance to speak, please. Israel is the third largest military exporter in the world. Exporter? Is, yes. Israel is now, has, you know, hundreds of nuclear heads. We all know that. So when you speak about peace and you speak about nonviolence, you might as well think of how Israel itself should stop using violence. <laughs> now, you said one of the arguments that uh, we are told here by Mr. Miller is that. Wait, uh, wait, wait. I, the reason I'm intervening, yes, please. there's a lot of scores being settled here. I'm <laughs> And we're, and we're traveling very far, and I'm not disregarding or disrespecting the passion about these issues, but we're trying to talk on the practicality yes, or the morality, please. either of this motion. I'm, and a I'm very not, focused question was put to you. But you've already, you, 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 took, you, took, the, you took the moment to take a slam at Israel's record, fine. No, no, no. But, no. There's, a, but there's a good point I'm that he raised, and it's the same sorry. reason I'm interrupting you. There's a good point that I would like to hear the answer to, and I think the audience yes. as well. If in fact, it's very simple. If Hamas is part of the state and the UN is an organization devoted to peace, can you please just bring those, reconcile those two things? It's a, it's a pretty obvious question. There are two m major important developments that have happened thanks to our work, thanks to, to our advocacy of nonviolence, which is that I know there are several statements and you could pick up the bad ones. But the official position now of Hamas is to accept nonviolence. This is a big achievement, and you should be happy about it. If people change positively, you should not get angry, as Mr. Gold does. Also, they are accepting 67 borders. That's an important change. Excuse me, may I make a and, point? And no, when, no, no. Very when Mr. Let, Miller speaks, let, let him finish. Yeah. When you speak about the Palestinian Authority being incapable of controlling the security, of course, because it's under occupation. We are the first people in the hum human history who are asked to provide protection to their occupiers without being able to defend themselves from the occupier. That makes no sense. We are saying we are ready to have international troops standing on the border, even inside the Palestinian government, state. We are ready to be totally demilitarized. We are, but we cannot provide security to anybody and even to ourselves if we are not, in the, if we are not independent, okay. if we have if occupation continues. Why, why going to the UN? Why admission of the UN will change the parameters? For one simple reason. The balance of power today is so much skewed in the interest of Israel, and Israel does what it wants. What we need to do is to change the balance of power. Okay. So that we Let me bring it to Aaron oh, David Miller and we'll come back engaged, to you. We're engaged. With all due respect to IQ, Aaron, could you come a little closer yeah, with to all due respect thing. to IQ two US, I want to be invited back at some point. <laughs> we're, we're engaged in a kind of a thought experiment here. And there's a certain reality which we, once we leave this theater tonight, will have to take account of. There are only three ways 
that the Palestinian state will be born. Either the Palestinians will take it from the Israelis by force, which they are unable, and I take you at your word, Mustafa, unwilling to do. Second, an international organization or body or the will of the international community will somehow deliver it to them on their behalf. That is incredibly fanciful. The notion that admission into the UN will give you access to the ICC, the International Criminal Court, the Israelis will have their own case to be made against you. What and you, by the way, what did, what did you think of and, Mustafa's and response to Dory's point that in fact Hamas has accepted 1967 borders I mean, and has that, renounced That in itself is a Adam, I have tremendous respect for you, Mustafa, but that is a that, that strains the bounds of credulity <laughs> to the to the to the breaking point. And by the way, and by the way, this is a political organization which may in fact be undergoing a transformation. It is going to have to find a new home because the Ark on the Assads is running south. So you're saying in fact there is change. No, what I'm saying to you is yes, Israel that if in, fact, if in fact there is a change, it is a process that will have to be demonstrated not in words and not in quiet conversation and not in Cairo. Of course. Okay, but Daniel in Levy. In deep. Let's but bring in Daniel Levy. That is not, that is not the main issue. I will issue. come back to you. I, I, why are you afraid of change? Daniel I don't Levy. understand. Mustafa? Why are you afraid of change? Mustafa, I want to hear from your partner. And I'll come back to you. Look, I, I know this is an issue in which people, you know, kind of skate in and out, don't have very deeply held feelings. Um, it, I think it's a shame that we've descended into a a blame game here, and I, I want to try and pick up on a thread that I think Aaron was trying to reintroduce to the conversation. The Palestinians can take this by force, they can have it delivered to them by the international community, and I'm guessing where you're going with the third one is they can convince the Israelis to actually withdraw. Or at least that's where I would go with it. And if you're about to tell me that they can wait for America to deliver it for them, then uh, I suggest you see a production of Waiting for Godot. Sorry, Gold. Um, no, no, the, <laughs> no, the, point, just, the, the point I want to make is <laughs> that I think what the Israeli public needs to see right now, yes, is, a continued pal is more of a Palestinian commitment and a continued, by those who are already there, commitment to living alongside Israel. But I don't think a charm offensive is the entirety of the ingredients that we have to bring into the mix. We have to bring in the ingredients which says to the Israelis, hey, I hope we're moving away from violence, but we can't sit on the sidelines while you swallow up all of Palestine. So we're going to make declarative attempts. This does not mitigate against the fact that we want to live alongside you. We're not trying to replace you at the UN. But we do have to begin to accumulate some beginnings of a balance of leverage, some addressing of this asymmetry. I think that's productive for any future Israeli-Palestinian right, process. I'm going to come to the audience for questions in a moment. Dory Gold has been very patient, waiting through two rounds. Your chance to respond to some points. Look, one of the purposes, one of the purposes of this discussion, we're in an academic setting. Academic setting means we have to distill what the truth is about certain situations. And we have to report the facts. And it is interesting to share those facts when you come from Cairo or I come from Jerusalem. And unfortunately, there is a fact that five days after your meeting in Cairo, Hamas on its official website, palestine-info.info, Hamas made the following uh, uh, 
statement. We underline our adherence to our right to the struggle in all its forms, particularly the armed struggle. That's not Martin Luther King. Sorry. I can, and if I can just uh, finish wait, the sentence, yeah. it's no, not wait. the UN Charter, which is our subject for tonight. And you can't, you can't embellish this. You can't somehow treat it as though it's not there. Because you're asking these people to vote for admission of Palestine to the UN. If Palestine involves armed struggle, are you prepared to vote for armed struggle against my people, the people of Israel? I, I can, I can quote here people. many Israelis, including rabbis and Mr. and Mr. Lieberman, your foreign minister, who describe Palestinians as cockroaches. But I'm not going to do that. Sorry, so Avigdor Lieberman is some guy on the fringe of Israeli politics? On the same day that Israeli negotiators sat with Palestinian negotiators in Amman, this week, last week, Foreign Minister Lieberman said, this isn't going anywhere, there's not going to be a Palestinian state. The Likud platform says, Excuse the government me, Daniel of Israel Levy. flatly Daniel rejects Levy. the establishment Sorry, of a Palestinian Arab state. I'm against Hamas's positions, but this is not coming from one side. Daniel and we Levy, can use the UN Charter to work with Hamas. Oh, don't throw moral yes, equivalence at me. What delegitimizes uh, Israel Daniel is we don't Levy, push the border. What delegitimizes Israel Daniel is when we maintain an occupation. Cannot. You All right. Compare Passions are running a high. Political and, position from Israel and, and debate is robust. For murder. So we, I'd on, like to go to the Minister Lieberman did not call for murder. So don't put him in the same box as Hamas. All right. You're Can wrong. We, you You're cannot, undermining the state folks, of Israel. Oh, oh, I'm undermining the state of Israel. Yes, what undermines are. the state of Israel is your continued settlement project. Daniel, the settlements are not a big deal. The settlements are the death knell. The death knell of Israeli democracy. Nobody is killing anybody. And I'm if talking you, about armed struggle. If you, if you continue to have... The, the settlements aren't backed by the Israeli military. The settlements exist in some kind of bubble, esoteric world of... Come on, the real world. Who defends the settlements? The tooth bearers? I'm really sorry questions. I'm really sorry for Mr. Gold because you are really advocating the creation of apartheid and that means killing the two states option. Exactly. You know, you know what we aspire to here and we just went through an episode of not doing it <laughs> is actually to shed light by arguing relevant facts, and all of these facts may be relevant to the larger argument. We're talking about the practicality or the morality of this motion. And we can talk about Cairo and who was at the meeting, and we got that point the very first time. <laughs> and we, can, we know that Israel has a record that is offensive to the Palestinians, and we got that the first time. Yes. We would really ask you all to try to bring this level up to, and I do think settlements are completely relevant, and you made that point well, but we would like to ask you to bring this up to a level of, of keeping this on the facts that are happening here. Now I'm going to go to the questions, and, I, and I'm, 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 I'm counting on you folks <laughs> to hear what I just said. Um, so again, uh, I urge you to really try to focus it as a question. Keep it on this point. We, we cannot argue every point uh, of history back to 1948 and before. And, um, and we're trying to understand, we're trying to understand 
what will happen if this motion were to pass or if this motion were not to pass. Um, sir, you're wearing a pink shirt in the far right. Hi. I'd like to ask Mr. Uh, Barguti a question. Uh, two, two brief questions. One is... I, I'd like to just ask one. Pick okay. one. Pick well, one. they're so fast, it's going to be less than... Just pick one. Minutes. I wanted to answer one. Well, okay. Good. One is um, uh, there was a 10-month settlement freeze in the Palestinians. There was no movement on the part of the Palestinians. And two is in 47... <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. How is, how, is, how is that, sir? How does that relate to our motion? Directly. To a motion. It's a question about what he was okay, talking about. Okay, thank you. I'm going to go on to another question. We're not. We're not. Uh, we're trying to stay on the topic of this motion. With respect, ma'am, right in the center. So, staying away from the question of whether it should be a two-state solution, but going back into um, the argument four, what do you feel is the impact of passing uh, a Palestine into the UN? How does it impact the actual negotiation process? So going back to, well, will it actually I think Dory Gold said take it would two be, steps back? It would back. kill it. Didn't do, did Dory Gold not argue that it would be very detrimental to but the negotiation? But I want to understand from the side that's arguing for, okay. how do you actually deal with, uh, I mean, are you undermining negotiations by uh, prematurely entering into this okay, situation? Okay, let's let uh, Mustafa Barguti take that question. I have two questions. The first is about the 10-month settlement. A <laughs> 10-month settlement, it freeze, it's uh, actually there was no freeze because it did not include Jerusalem. It did not include what they call natural growth. So there wasn't freeze. And Palestinians are trying their best, although I would disagree with the tactic. But yesterday, Mustafa, today... This, this audience is going to vote on what you said about the motion tonight. Yeah, she yeah. asked a direct question about about the motion, if you could take About that. the motion, yeah. yeah. The second question is about the motion, and I want to say here that if we are admitted to the UN, the most important thing that will come out is that the illegal actions of settlement building, which is destroying the possibility of two-state solution, will be invalid. That means de facto creation of settlements on the ground does not undermine the right of the Palestinians to have a state. That will be good for peace and for two-state solution. Aaron David, will you have a response to that? It's a very yeah, interesting I, answer. I think it's, uh, uh, could you come a little closer to With all due respect, I think that exists in the, in the level, again, of a, of a thought experiment. It doesn't. It is, admission to the UN will not stop Israeli settlement activity. I would argue, actually, it's going to accelerate it. And it will allow the Israelis to make it unmistakably clear to the Americans, who will, in fact, take their part in this, in but, large part but, because but Mustafa's we, point because not, we, not that, that, that the, the Palestinians would have more legal standing to resist. But legal standing to do what? The day after you are admitted, Mustafa, let me finish. The ground will not become facts Mustafa, let me forever. finish. The day after you are admitted into the UN, nothing will change. And arguably, and we've been arguing about it, nothing is going to change. Because neither you, you need two powers to support and make sovereignty meaningful to you. You may have given up on them. You may have convinced yourselves that their administrations are bankrupt, and they may offer you no hope. But it is a reality that unless you can take what you want by force, unless the international community is going to give it to you, which they will not, they will not. They have the Iranians, they have the Syrians. People are standing in line to sanction well ahead of what the international community 
would do with respect to the Israelis. Your, your, your ultimate objective is to create, and I would agree with Daniel, a different constellation of forces to support a negotiation to end the conflict. But you cannot create that improved balance by seeking admission into the UN. It will not improve your standing. And I have heard, I've heard nothing right. in the last Daniel, hour Daniel, do you have, to suggest do you have, that it will. Do you have something new to yeah, say I, on this? But, but, really but before that, one, one second, please. I didn't say Mustafa that admission Mustafa. to the UN is the only factor that will change the balance. I said this is part of a bigger thing, which is popular nonviolent resistance. It's diplomatic resistance within the context of something bigger. This will change parameters. No, but you'll, you'll, get the you'll get the opposite reaction. Aaron, let me let Daniel leave because I think he's I mean, Two responses, Aaron. First, I really beg to differ with you on what looks different the morning after Palestine's admitted to the UN in the following way. And, and this isn't just about Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, and his coalition. But I, I do think that when Prime Minister Netanyahu can strut his stuff, and say, you see, the international community doesn't admit Palestine to the UN. I think that sends precisely the wrong signal to the Israeli public. The, uh, I give credit to the Israeli public's I I intelligence in, in knowing that the cost-benefit calculation, that the signals they're receiving are not affirmative enough yet regarding two states. And I think it's, it's that signal that matters. And I do think it's not going to change everything, but it would change something um, in the discourse if Palestine is admitted to the UN and, and that's the kind of change that we need to begin to see happen. All right, we are in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan, your moderator. We have four debaters, two teams of two, arguing out this motion, the UN should admit Palestine as a full member state. Anand to another question. Um, yeah, you're very enthusiastic and you've got a red sweater. <laughs> You asked for questions that would um, illuminate the discussion here. Could you please define for me who are the Palestinians? Whom are we negotiating with? Wait, wait. I'm going to let you elaborate. I, I want to. I, I want to know what you're. I can't elaborate. I am sincerely asking. So you're you're saying the PLO, the PA, the Hamas? Are, are you confused or, or what? Yes. I don't. I do not have a sense of a nation of. A people that are properly represented to have negotiations to make up Palestine. All right, I'd like Mustafa Barghouti to take this. There was once uh, an Israeli prime minister by the name of Golda Meir. She said, who are the Palestinians? They don't exist. Well, since then, Israel has been fighting with the non-existing people. And I, I feel I'm so sorry that you think I'm so sorry that you think this way, ma'am, because denying the presence of people is nothing but a reflection of racism. We are there. We are there. We have our history. We're 11 million people. Six million of us are in the diaspora. You know what? What will surprise you most is how much Palestinians are similar to the Jewish people. Ma'am, I, I mean... And the suffering you had, we have. And we will get there one day where you and us will be happy. 
the, I to just Gaza. want to ask you, was, was the premise of your question the Golda Meir, Palestinians don't exist thought? Is that what you were... Just take, take the mic back, because that's why I asked for clarification. Are you saying there's simply a splintered... Some kind of a description of whom are we talking about that we're negotiating with or not negotiating with. What, what is the entity that we can actually work with? What is the actual... Daniel, Levy, do you want to take a very quick run at that? Well, Israel signs agreements with the PLO, the, the, the agreements that Prime Minister Netanyahu signed um, that were referred to earlier. Those are signed with the PLO, the Palestine Liberation Organization. There's a negotiation right now uh, as to whether and the conditions under which Hamas and other bodies... Uh, will join the PLO. Uh, they're not in the PLO at the moment. The PNC is in the PLO. Every member of the Palestinian Parliament, which means the gentleman sitting next to me is included, is in the PLO. That's, that, that's who okay. Israel Let's negotiates Let's go on to with. another question. Um, uh, sir, in the, in the very center of dark sweater. Yep. Yeah. Uh, wait for a microphone and please ask a question. By the way, ma'am, that was a question. I was tightly focused. <laughs> Formally perfect. Thank you very much. Uh -oh. now, solid answer. I am a third party here. Reverend Dr. Sammy Samson. I heard this side. I heard this side. This person with a special head like me, he mentioned about peaceful nation under article number four. I, I need you to get to a question in the next two sentences. Now, that is... The question is whether Palestine is qualified to be a peaceful nation or not. The situation tells now that they don't. And my comments on that are that they should be given another 100 years to go through the training and be a peaceful nation. Okay. I, I don't think you're going to get any argument from maybe from this side. And we've heard the response already because this side has made that argument. So I want to move on, ma'am. They cannot uh, be a part Ma'am, right there? Yeah, yeah. You just point your fingers down. Oh, I'm sorry. If, I'm not sure where there is a mic is on, on this side. It's going to come right on the edge there. Uh, no, oh, yeah, that, that's it. That's it. That's it. Thank you. Hi. Hi. I think there are about 133 UN Security Council resolutions against Israel or something like that. No? I think you're how many up, UN security with other UN bodies? Mm. Okay, well, how many UN resolutions? There have are 41 US vetoes against resolutions in the Security Council. Well, I wanted to know how many UN resolutions Israel has formally rejected against it, and why, if it rejected those, it suddenly sees the viability of UN decisions in this case. But it, it won't, so I'm, I'm going to move on to another question. Uh, Ma'am, in the far left, uh, you're right at the last seat against the wall, yeah, yeah. No, with respect, sorry. Hi, thank you. Um, I want to address this to Daniel Levy. The point that Mr. Miller made about that, how can they control the guns, you're saying that the PLO will be the one to take the seat at the UN Council. How will then they control the guns if there's division within the Palestinian people? You mean how do they control the guns in Gaza? Right. Daniel Levy. Yeah, I, I mean, as, as I've said, there are, I think there are two ways of coming at this. Um, first of all, 
call me uh, uh, curmudgeonly pessimist, uh, but I don't think the morning after Palestine's admitted to the UN, Israel is going to say, ah, game's up, we're withdrawing to the 67 lines now. So in practical terms, you know, I, I believe that this is about what signals do we send, uh, even as an academic exercise. So in practical terms, I think it's a crucial question, but it's not the morning after we all vote tonight or you all vote tonight or Palestine is admitted to the UN. Um, what I do think is, and, and you know, let's, let's be creative diplomatically here. What I do think is you should be encouraging realistic terms for Palestinian reconciliation, for one authority with one gun, and I think part of the blend of how you do that could be using the very admission of Palestine to the UN, the very signing of that UN charter to hold Hamas to a certain standard on violence. Personally, I think the three-quartet three conditions I, well, I mean, were not a good idea. The violence one was. Dory Gold, do you think that. that's what would happen? Unfortunately, Hamas, and this is hard for us to understand this in the West, is a rigidly ideological organization. You know, in 2006, Hamas won the Palestinian elections, not just in Gaza Strip, but also in the West Bank. And Mahmoud Azhar, who would become the Hamas foreign minister, was asked by a Western correspondent, are you willing to change the Hamas charter from 1988? Which, by the way, does not call just for the destruction of Israel. It calls for the murder of Jews. It's a genocidal document. And I have to use that language because that's what it is. And you know what Azahar responded in 2006? Not a single word. Now, many of us thought, you know, British gas has found huge gas deposits offshore in the Mediterranean next to the Gaza Strip. They want to have commerce with the EU, with the world. They'll change. They'll be flexible. They'll meet the quartet conditions. Hamas from 2006 until our conflict with them in 2008, 2009, didn't okay. move. So and your, still answer, your answer is no. That wouldn't happen. No, no, I'm not. I, I just, your, your, your partner wants to bring Dan, in a point Dan, to this. Daniel's response Aaron to David this Miller. question to me is an indication of the fundamental problem. It, it isn't thought through, Daniel. Your, your response to this young woman is simply not rigorously thought through. You're assuming that we can create... Help, no, help me with no, my lack I, of rigorous No, that is not my... I'm out of that business. I'm not here to help you think no, it through no, creatively. But, but you are defending a proposition that will, in effect, yes. set into motion a set of consequences over which you will have absolutely no control. This is the fundamental problem. Just because negotiations are stuck, and I, I am the first person to acknowledge just how stuck they really are, doesn't mean that in an effort to maintain hope, to diffuse desperation, and to accommodate some measure of urgency, we need to pursue an idea that I would argue to you, and you've, in my judgment, failed to demonstrate where the real upsides are. The downsides of this are very, very real. In July of 2000, we decided to recommend to Bill Clinton to go to Camp David to try to create a conflict-ending solution between Israelis and Palestinians. Do you realize that a dozen years after that summit, we are still paying for the lack of wisdom and the recklessness of that decision? Israelis and Palestinians have not yet recovered from the trauma of those 10 years because we believed in an effort to do something in the face of a desperate situation
that we could make it better. This notion okay. is, is reckless and it's not Daniel, well thought Daniel through. Daniel Levy, to respond briefly Sorry, with to all that. Due respect, with all due respect, Aaron, to American omnipotence, I think we can allow Israelis and Palestinians just a little bit of agency for what's they happened. They can have all the agency Just for what's happened want, in the last dozen years. And I'm sorry, Aaron, what you have failed to demonstrate is what is the negative impact of having two states at the UN. What you've failed to... What have you said? Because you've you said... No, sorry. You've said this may harm Obama's re-election. Well, I don't think it's realistic. No, that's not the, that's you not have, the major Okay, point. let's go on then. No. You, have said, you have said that it might lead to more settlements. Do you know what? If the Israeli goal is to make this territory indivisible, and I hope it's not, but if that's the goal, let's start dealing with that reality. I don't want to go there. Daniel? You've said it would undermine negotiations. Negotiations have gone nowhere. You're the one who wrote that it was America acting as Israel's lawyer that undermined that very Camp David effort that you just reminded us about. So come on, give us a constructive proposal to move forward, because we've explained why this helps, and you haven't explained why it doesn't. On the aisle here. Quick yes uh, could, no could, question. You stand, could you stand, please? Thank you. Quick yes or no question for Daniel Levy. Is it fair for the Israelis and the international community to expect that in return for what you support, the uh, 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 membership in the UN, that Hamas will say publicly and clearly and consistently forevermore that they disavow violence in an armed struggle against Israel? Yes or no? Daniel Levy. Do you want to concede to Mustafa on that, or do you want to take him, or Look, share? I, I do not think that the Palestinian right to self-determination, and therefore, by extension, Palestinian membership at the UN, should be contingent on that. What I do think, and I made clear here tonight, I do not think that. I, I don't think, I don't think that Israel's rights to self-determination should be contingent on certain things that I believe Israel should stop doing. Okay, not that I'm drawing the Mars rule. What I, do think, what I do think is we should use this vis-a-vis -vis Hamas. And I want to make another point here, because we've spoken an awful lot about Hamas. I, I don't know if people have noticed, there's something going on in the Middle East. The Muslim Brotherhood, political Islam, of which Hamas is a part, is kind of popular when people get the chance to vote democratically. This is a reality we have to deal with. Now, we can bury our heads in the sand and say there's a charter and you have to stand up and publicly disavow X, Y, or Z, or we can work, work day in, day out to try and create a new reality that Hamas relates to, to try and create a new reality that the Muslim Brotherhood relates to, to work with this new reality in the Middle East. And the more Israel buries its head in the sand and says you have to tick boxes X, Y, and Z before we do anything, the worse we are going to make our predicament. All right, Mustafa Farguti. Yeah. You see... From one side, we are told we will not be able to progress because Palestinians are divided. But then the same people, Israel and Mr. Gold, are against Palestinian unity. What we are working on, what we have achieved, actually, through the most recent negotiations, is that Hamas officially declared, on the words of Khaled Mashal, that they are committing to nonviolence. I am trying to explain that to you, and you, you don't want even to hear it. Because, because if change is happening in the positive direction, what you see today is there is no violence. But in Mustafa, the West Bank. let me let me make this point. And, I think and, and no, no, but just one one last point. If you if you what what Mr. Miller is proposing is just passivity and continuation of status quo, and we are saying this is dangerous because today, 
you have the whole Palestinian camp ready to accept nonviolence. If nothing changes, if a solution is not found, if we don't move forward, then much thing, things will get worse. Is that what we want? We want to find a solution. And when we say we're admitting, we're committing to nonviolence, we're doing diplomatic resistance, Israel should be happy about that because that opens the road for a solution. But Dori, but staying but on I, the same course. Okay, Mustafa, I'm, I'm interrupting because you made this point. But, yeah. but Dory Gold has, has left hanging out there several very alarming statements made by Hamas exactly. very recently that do not suggest a commitment but to nonviolence. So, so, so I, just, I just need you, I, I, I just need you to. I just need you to tell us what do we do with those statements. What's the concept? What did you do in Iraq? What did you do in Iraq? What was the Sunni awakening that you worked with? Were these people who were shooting Americans? Did you ask them to make all kinds of pretty statements? You faced a tough situation. What are you doing now with the Taliban? Sometimes you have to mix it with unpleasant, unsavory elements. This isn't a, a, a lesson in how to grimly have nice tea parties. Daniel, this is the hard reality. Aaron David Miller. Aaron David Miller. Let him respond and I'll come to you. Let me respond. The fact, the fact that Mr. Zahar and others came out against Mishal is proving my point. Because that means that a division is happening there, but the, the, the official spokesperson, the leaders of this movement are admitting this. If, if this positive change is creating opposition within that organization, that is another proof that this is serious. Okay. And right. at the end of the day, the Palestinians are coming to the United Nations and say, saying we are committed to nonviolence as PLO and as Palestinians. It's Aaron David Miller. Look, in a negotiation, at least in this negotiation, even if you were admitted as a member state, the logic of your analysis just isn't good enough. You're going you to need a monopoly over the organized forces of violence in your society, even to induce the Israelis, or even by extension the Americans, but isn't that to, what you praise to, in to the help, West Bank to help today? broker a solution. Aren't the you praising the, peop the government Mustafa, in the West Bank for having done that can in I the West Bank? On, on the four core issues that drive the conflict. You will need one gun, one authority, and one negotiating position. Isn't that the case you today? Don't, but Wait. you don't have that, and the presumption is that you should be admitted into the United Nations as a full member state Wait, without But it. he's saying that, they do, that you do have it. In the West Bank, but and you, he's praising but, it. He's praising you, Mr. Fayyad and Mr. Respond to his point. He's saying that, in fact, that, that control does Isn't that in the, the West case Bank. today in the West Bank? Sadly, as a consequence of the Oslo process, the, the area that you do control... You've actually done, it as a consequence of intimate security cooperation with the Israelis and assisted by the United States and the Jordanians, quite a lot, yes. So why are you and unhappy if this and is you're building And you're building the institutions that state it, but it's a far cry to assume that your national movement right now is unified and cohesive enough to warrant what it is you seek. Right now, and I don't mean to trivialize this, the Palestinian National Movement is literally like Noah's Ark. There are two of everything. There are two constitutions. There are two sets of security services. There are two polities. There are two independent At entities. least we have a constitution. And Israel does not have a constitution. On this narrow point... On this narrow point... Daniel, the Noah's Ark point... What I'm hearing is that a case has been made. What I'm hearing is a lot of obfuscation from the other side. What I'm not hearing is 
how do we advance this in a different way? What I've not heard. That's not their and mission. I, I, I know, I know, I know, I know, but we're making a case. We're making a case for how you can begin to lay down a marker on a rapidly evaporating two-state prospect. And all we've heard, and I thought we'd hear it, and even, I do think there's some onus on the other side to do a little more than give us an hour and a half of naysaying. I'm sorry, but I really no. do. If the, if the proposition, John, can I, can I respond? Yeah. Yes, you can. If the proposition that IQ2 US wanted to sponsor was, is Israeli-Palestinian peace possible? then we could, have a, we could have had a discussion. But the assertion that is made here, the motion is, you are asserting that Palestine should be admitted as a, as a member state. And it was our objective. We may not have succeeded to your satisfaction, okay. perhaps even to the audience's. But you demonstrate why, that in, we fa should why in fact you that course But you are, what you are suggesting, Mr. Miller, is that we give Israel the time to finish the settlement project. I'm not That's suggesting that at all. Um, you, you've premised a lot of your argument on... Um, Who, who's the question for? The Mr. Barbudis. Um, okay. You've premised um, a lot of your argument on uh, claims about the balance of power between Israel and the Palestinians. Um, the last negotiation, in my mind, is one in which the Israelis traded one soldier for hundreds of Palestinian terrorists. Thousands, excuse me. Um, and I'm wondering, uh, given the willingness uh, on one side, on behalf of one side of the debate, um, namely the Palestinians, to uh, send in uh, young um, boys and girls to kill themselves, um, how can you argue that the, um, the piece of cheese is entirely um, on the side of Israel and that the Palestinians um, are left with nothing to do? It seems like the willingness to commit suicide leaves them with a lot to do and transforms radically this balance of power, which you're arguing is completely shifted uh, to the side of the Israelis. You are a young man. You are a young man. And uh, I think as a young person, I'd, I'm responding to your question. Yes. What did you say? No, I'm saying as a young person, uh, and I admire young people, you should look into the reality today, not keep talking about the past. What you are describing, what you are describing some, is something that is long time disappeared. And if we keep going back to the past, we will not find a, a way to the future. You're asking why uh, Israel exchanged one prisoner for 1,000 Palestinian prisoners? Because Palestinians had only one prisoner. <laughs> and, and by the way, by the way, by the way, there are still 5,000 Palestinian prisoners in Israeli jails. Do you, know, do you know how it feels? Do you know how it feels? What, what is strange to me is why when Oslo Agreement was signed, not all the Palestinian prisoners were released. Why did it take Hamas to capture an Israeli soldier so that Fakhri and Nael Barghouti, who spent 33 years in jail, had to be released? Why couldn't they be released because of the peace agreement? Okay, this one is last, the mistake. One last question. A little far from the UN. We keep it on the issue. Can you come forward? Come forward into the into the uh, so the camera can see you. 
I'd like to address my question to Daniel Levy and Dr. Barguti. This is a question of context, gentlemen, which I don't think we've heard in this debate. The last legitimate democratic election in the Palestinian areas was won by the Hamas, convincingly, in 2006. The Palestinian, the PLO, Fatah, as the lead faction of the PLO, has failed to conduct negotiations in January 2010 and subsequent. So the only legitimate government in the eyes of the Palestinian people today is the Hamas. On the, on the basis of, of uh, Mr. Hania in Gaza, he is the legitimate Palestinian leader in the eyes of the Palestinian people. All right, and so how do you argue? So how do you argue that the Israeli should be that the Israeli public should be comfortable with a legitimate sovereign called the PLO when, in the eyes of the Palestinians, the majority of the Palestinians, it is only the Hamas that it, that was the sidelined and jailed and tortured by the Fatah legitimate Palestinian leadership. Mustafa Bagarti. Mustafa Barghouti. Let me clarify one point here. When Hamas won elections, they got 44% of the votes, and Fatah got 41%. It was the stupidity of Fatah, who did not accept full proportional system that led to Hamas getting a majority in the parliament. Today, I assure you, there is a growing number of Palestinians that want to see a third alternative, which I think we represent. And I do not think that either Hamas or Fatah will get an absolute majority in any future election. What you should encourage is that Palestine becomes a full-fledged democracy with, with pluralism. I always believed, and I still believe, that the only way to have a peaceful, a lasting peace between both sides is if we have two democracies negotiating an agreement and not to have an agreement imposed from one side on the other. All right, thank you. And that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. And here's where we are. We are about to hear brief closing statements from each debater in turn. Those closing statements will be two minutes each. And after those statements, we will ask you to vote on this debate and choose a winner. Our motion is the UN should admit Palestine as a full member state. And here to summarize his position against this motion, Aaron David Miller, a former U.S. Mideast peace negotiator, advisor to six secretaries of state, author of a book coming out in September of 2012 called Can America Have Another Great President? Aaron David John, Miller. Thank you very much. I realize that in, in the last 90 minutes that perhaps one of the most astute things that I've done, one of the best decisions I've made, was to leave the Arab-Israeli negotiating process. Uh, and I say that with tremendous respect and affection for everybody on this panel. If, if the goal is achieving statehood, if that is really the goal, then it seems to me that UN admission simply doesn't make much sense. You alienate the two countries that Palestinians will need, Israel and the United States, to produce meaningful and legitimate Palestinian sovereignty. You will kill Salam Fayyad's nascent state-building efforts. There's no question about that. And you're putting your hope in an international community that has never, ever abandoned you, actually, but isn't capable of delivering your sovereignty. And I, I would argue that even though, Dan, you persist in saying that we haven't demonstrated what the downsides are, I, I think given, in my judgment, the risks of admission and the uncertainties that will certainly follow other than hope, which is extremely important, and diffusing a, me a measure of desperation, even more important. You haven't demonstrated how, in effect, 
UN membership will bring Mustafa Barghouti and his people any closer, any closer to negotiating Jerusalem border security refugees and to meaningful statehood. Maybe the strategy has more to do with internal Palestinian politics, with Mahmoud Abbas's exit strategy, with the Arab Spring and the Arab winter, with a full reconciliation with Hamas. And in fact, if that is your objective, well, then maybe you should seek UN admission, but not if you want to facilitate the negotiations. My good friend Daniel Levy wrote day before yesterday, the PLO strategy, the PLO has a bad case of strategic combobulation. And the, the UN-Palestinian effort was a, a weak, a damp squib, a damp squib, Great Britain. Aaron, I have damp to cut squib. you off. Uh, one if, more sentence, please. If Daniel Levy doesn't believe it, which I don't think he does, no many, then no, why no should we... No subordinate clauses. Then why should we believe... <laughs> then why should thank, we believe... Thank you, Aaron David Miller. Our motion is the UN should admit Palestine as a full member state. And here to summarize his position in support of this motion, Daniel Levy, former Israeli peace negotiator and senior fellow at the New America Foundation. What I said was right. I think the Palestinians should pursue this in a different way, and it's going to take time, but there's a strategy for getting this. We've spoken a lot here about Hamas, but I think the way you further empower Hamas and discourage change in Hamas is to close all non-violent diplomatic options in the face of the Palestinians. I know people here, and I also don't like to hear the word apartheid. Here's what the Israeli Minister of Defense, Ehud Barak, said February 2010. The simple truth, if there is one state, including Israel, West Bank, and Gaza, it's either binational or undemocratic. That will be an apartheid state. That's the tragedy that we want to prevent. And you know what? Our toolbox is an impoverished one because we have tried so much already. But sticking exclusively with negotiations really must be the dumbest idea. So what do we have left that's non-violent? Let's use the international tools of diplomacy that are at our disposal to make a statement. We haven't heard negative consequences that can come from this, and mostly we haven't heard what else to do except to blindly continue to place our faith in negotiations or that the Palestinians somehow should only be ingratiating themselves without creating any leverage with Israel and America. It's been tried. It hasn't worked. The risk is the status quo. The risk is the continued descent of Israeli democracy to a place where it will be unrecognizable and an inability to reach a two-state solution. We need to send a signal here from this room that a Palestine should be admitted to the UN and the UN needs to send a signal to Israelis and Palestinians that it's going to be a two-state solution. Otherwise, the next debate will be about equal rights in one indivisible territorial unit. I'm not against equal rights and democracy, but I want an Israel. An Israel that's different, that changes, but I want an Israel, and I'm sure Mustafa wants a Palestine. And we should have both of those Thank as you. member states of the UN. Daniel Levy, your time is up. Thank you. Our motion is the UN should admit Palestine as a full member state. And here to summarize his position against the motion, Dory Gold, former Israeli ambassador to the UN and former advisor to Prime Minister Netanyahu. These are, um, this is a very important issue. And I am sorry that at certain points in this discussion we got heated. But the stakes are not just winning a debate in this very nice auditorium in uh, NYU. This is about 
issues that relate to our very existence. I started, before I was cut off earlier on, telling you, telling you, that when we withdrew from the Gaza Strip in 2005, we had great hopes that we were removing a cause, an irritant, and therefore, Prime Minister Sharon, who I knew very well, decided to take that risk and pulled out unilaterals. And instead of rocket fire dropping as a result, it increased between 2005 and 2006 by 500 percent. The State of Israel is obligated to make sure that whatever arrangement we make on the West Bank doesn't replicate the conditions in the Gaza Strip. <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, Mahmoud Abbas has decided on a course of action that he actually began at the end of the Olmert government. It's a course of unilateralism. And with this unilateralism is an effort to get recognized as a Palestinian state with UN membership without having to address our concerns, without having to address the security of Israel, without having to recognize my people's right to a nation state, even though I'm being asked to recognize his people's right to a nation state. And finally, to predetermine the outcome of negotiations by going to the UN and saying the borders will be June 4th, even though the UN back in 67 said we weren't going back to the exact 67 line. And therefore, I suggest to you, particularly in light of the fact that we're seeing an effort to sell you an unreformed Hamas, an unreformed Islamic Jihad as part of the Palestinian political community, to reject the notion that the Palestinians should be accepted as a member state until they change. Thank you, Dari Gold. Our motion is the UN should admit Palestine as a full member state. And here to summarize his position in support of this motion, Mustafa Barghouti, member of the Palestinian Parliament and leader of the Palestinian National Initiative. Thank you. Mr. Gold has repeated practically what uh, Vice Glass, who was the advisor to Mr. Sharon, when he said that we would draw from Gaza so that we can put peace in formaldehyde. We can put peace to sleep. Unfortunately, creating fear is not a solution. And everything that Mr. Miller and Gold have suggested today is nothing but wasting time and losing time. And I am telling them, you can maybe afford to lose time because you haven't lived for 44 years under occupation. You haven't lived for in this position for a long time. And you haven't been humiliated every day by occupying forces. You can maybe even afford to be sarcastic, gloomy, and even depressed. But that will not bring change. Yes, the peace process has become a substitute to peace, and that's why we need to change the situation. I cannot afford to lose time, because this is about my life, about my daughter's life, and it's about the lives of the Palestinians and Israelis. And the Israelis themselves cannot afford this. When I ask people, what do you want? They say, we want jobs, we want education, and we want health care. We could not have had that. We couldn't have that because we have occupation. And this needs to end. What the Israelis want is also security. But that also cannot be available as long as Palestinians are insulted and humiliated. Boazizi in Tunisia created a revolution because he brought the issue of dignity to people's minds. 
and every day thousands of Palestinians' dignity is harmed. What we are trying to say is to bring light in the end of the tunnel. When you vote today, don't take away hope. Don't take away light in the end of the tunnel. And let me remind you here with what Plateau said. He said we can easily forgive children for being afraid of dark. The tragedy is when grown people are afraid of light. Thank you, Mustafa Barghouti, very much. And that concludes our closing statements. And now it's time to learn which side this audience feels has argued best. We're going to ask you again to go to the keypads at your seat and to push the keypad whose number corresponds to the side that you feel argued best. It's the, our motion is the UN should admit Palestine as a full member state. If you feel this side, the side in support, argued best, push number one. If you feel the side against this side, argued best, push number two. If you remain or became undecided, push number three. And as I said before, just uh, correct it and you'll get the last one uh, come in correctly. So, um, I want to, uh, there was no need to apologize for bringing a little bit of heat to the conversation tonight. In fact, uh, it was justified in passion. But I, I also have a thing for light, and uh, so I like to bring as much light as heat. And I think that ultimately you, you, this team, both teams rose to that, and I want to thank you for, for hearing each other and for hearing me <laughs> and debating this honestly and fairly. And um, I also want to thank the members of the audience who had the, the, the guts to get up and ask questions, and the vast majority were very good and very on point and really did move this along. So a round of applause to those of you who were able to get up and ask questions. So we'll have the, the results of the vote in just a minute. What I'll do is I'll read off the preliminary numbers for, against, and undecided, and then the final numbers for, against, and undecided, and the team with the largest difference will be declared our winner. In the meantime, very briefly, I want to tell you about our next debate. It's coming up on February 7th, and in light of the fact that there is a, a health crisis in this country of many, many varieties, but we're going to be talking about the obesity epidemic with 33% of adults in this country and 17% of children obese, we thought it was time to find a way to look at this issue as a matter of debate. And the way that we're looking at it is whether, where's the issue of personal responsibility and government responsibility in this, in terms of, in, are, are people obese just simply because they eat too much, or are they obese because they're being advertised to because of what's in food and additives, the proliferation of fast food, and does government have a role in that and, or not? Basically, whose fault is it, and who should do something about it? We're very pleased that we are actually going to have a member of the Obama administration, the Surgeon General herself, uh, uh, Regina Benjamin, known as America's doctor, will be arguing um, in support of the following motion, obesity is the government's business. Her teammate uh, will be Pamela Peek, also a medical doctor. She's a nationally renowned physician, a scientist, and an expert in the fields of nutrition and fitness. And on WebMD, she is the chief lifestyle expert. The uh, team arguing against this, that saying obesity is not the government's business, is um, Paul Campos. He is author of The Obesity Myth. He's a constitutional law professor who came to this issue in an unusual way. He was watching all of the coverage of the Monica Lewinsky story back in the late 90s, and he became obsessed with the obsession in the news media over Monica Lewinsky's weight. <laughs> and he just started thinking. And he ended up writing some books and has strong points of view on this issue. 
and his debating partner also arguing that it is not the government's business but a matter of personal responsibility, John Stossel, an Emmy award-winning journalist. He is host of Fox Business Network Stossel, a weekly program that highlights consumer issues. He is a contrarian, if you know him, who would like government to stop meddling in people's business, and he is himself a very, very slender television correspondent. <laughs> and I can, I can only admire him. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll take uh, just about 30 seconds more, and the results will come to us. But uh, thank you very much for your patience. Okay, I've got them. I've just been given the results. Remember now, we had you vote twice. You've heard this debate, this argument, the arguments for and against this motion. The UN should admit Palestine as a full member state. We asked you to vote before and again afterwards, the vote afterwards telling us which side you feel presented the better argument. Before the debate, 34% were in support of the motion that the UN should admit Palestine as a full member state. 30% were against and 33% were undecided. After the debate, 55% support this motion. That is up 18%. 37% are against. That is up only 7%. The undecided went down by 20, 23, 25% to 8%. That means the motion has carried the side arguing the UN should admit Palestine as a full member state has won this debate. Our congratulations to them. Thank you from me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time.